Hello, hello. My name is Rich Ryan. I am the host of the Reinforced Running Podcast. And I want to let you know that I love running and strength training, but I am honestly obsessed with nutrition. So I'm really fired up for our guest today. Today we have a Corinna Coffin, who is not only a badass athlete, but also a registered dietitian and nutrition coach. So we do a deep dive on nutrition, and there's some great takeaways here, including how different macronutrients affect your performance and also how to balance them on your day-to-day, the nutrition needs for different event distances, how to sift through all the crazy information that is available on nutrition. And we also touch on some uh, practical application things you could do when it comes to DecaFit and all these different race distances and, and the new things that are popping up and how that would affect the food that you eat. And I love this conversation. I'm super excited to share it. Um, but first, Please rate and review, subscribe to get all the freshest episodes of the Reinforced Running podcast dropped directly into your feed. And also a special announcement here that former guest and OCR coach Josh Reedinger, aka Joshua Reed, and I are collaborating to create a coaching program that is geared specifically for the OCR athlete who is preparing for the Tri-State Beast in April up in the mountains in New Jersey. So the link is in the sh- uh, show notes below. So if you are running that race, then you need to check it out. Or you can go to www.reinforcerunning.com backslash tri-state beast. Okay. And we are on. Welcome to the Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. I'm going to be your host today. Today we have special guest, Corinna Coffin. Corinna, what's going on? Hey, Rich. How are you? Doing awesome. Thank you so much for joining today. Uh, I'm really excited because we haven't really done a deep dive on nutrition yet, like uh, a real expert in that field. And it's something I'm really passionate about. So I'm real excited to grab the knowledge out of you and just have a conversation on that. But first, I have a couple of like real short questions that, that I, I just want to ask you. Awesome. Are you ready? Okay. Yes. All right. So what is your go-to cheat meal? Go-to cheat meal. I love eggplant Parmesan. I'm Italian. So mm. like my mom, I wouldn't say it's my go-to because it's hard to go to it. My mom has to usually make it. But uh, when I'm home, I'm like, that's my request. That's a good point. Yeah. Like, so after a, <laughs> after a race, not at home. Yeah. You're not, it's not going to be my, my optimal performance fuel necessarily, but that's, I do love a good eggplant Parmesan. And the thing with sometimes eggplant just like they're just drastically different. Sometimes it's like the greatest thing ever, but if you get it from someplace, do you even get it out because you can't risk it? Or I, honestly, sometimes I do, but it's just never, it's never like my mom. So it's not, I've tried to replicate her at her with my boyfriend loves it too. So I'm like, Oh, may, may as well try to be a chef here and cook it. And so it's pretty good, but hers is by far the best. Yeah, and I'm not Italian, and the way I understand how Italians cook, they just like know how they just like <laughs> they know. this a little bit, a little bit of that, and then it's like <laughs> this perfect thing every time. And yes, yeah, there's I no don't. recipe, so you just kind of you kind of have to listen. You just or, have to watch it, do it. Watch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, cool eggplant parm. That's a that's a that's a great choice. Yeah, um, thank you. I bet you don't get that often. No, I haven't heard. I was uh, people are usually like oh pizza, and it's like that's a good one too, but like. <laughs> Shout out to Benny Gifford, who also shares that love of eggplant parm. We've bonded over that many times. How'd you guys find out that like that was, <laughs> did he have the same question for you one time? Or it was like that- at Battle Frog headquarters. We had to do this like this skit thing for business, like a marketing proposal. That question got asked and I said that. And he's like, no, 
that's my favorite food. I was like, shut <laughs> up. That's not possible. So, yeah. Pretty Shout out to Penny. <laughs> um, what is your favorite CrossFit workout? Oh, I am a big fan of long chippers for CrossFit. I mean, mm. with my endurance background, CrossFit was kind of hard for me to go to and be able to push really in, like, you know, kind of push close to that red line for really short periods of time. So I find that the longer ones um, are more in my wheelhouse, but I, so I like some running. I like some good bar muscle ups, mm. rope climbs are fun. Um, barbell cycling. I'm usually pretty good at like hang power cleans all day. So, you know, I haven't, I've been gear, I've been shifting further away from CrossFit as I'm sure we'll talk about maybe later in this podcast, but, um, so I, I'm not feeling as strong as I used to be, but that's all, all for good measure in the obstacle course racing world. When I step away um, from CrossFit, like, I don't know, not even that long, my overhead mobility is just a disaster. Yeah. Like, I just go running and then try to do like overhead squats, like I'm PVC pipe and then just like building up from there. Oh, yeah. It's hard um, balancing the, the running and CrossFit. I mean, they both make you feel equally worse in, in its own regard. You know, yeah. like, oh, if I run more, <laughs> CrossFit feels really tough. If I do more CrossFit, running feels tough. So it's a hard balance. So when you say chipper is, is sometimes I've seen people program chippers and they're just like 40 minute workouts and, but they could be like, you know, 10 rounds of something or, or I've heard like a chipper being like, it is 20 back squats and then, and then you move on and it's 20 kettlebell swings and then you never cycle back through. So what is your definition of, so it's all, once you get done with the movement, it's done like it's going through a wood chipper. And once it's gone, yeah, no, gone. you totally could. I think either way, I think, um, I mean, you see them both ways. So, but I guess what, I guess for my, in terms of my strength, um, I don't know. I think, I think I, a lot of times I, I prefer more variety of movements. Cause I think, you know, I think just working different movements, I, I like higher skill kind of gymnastic movements too. So mm. I'm happy with, with either one, but it is nice to just, check it off the list and not have to worry about going back to it. It does take up a lot of space in the gym. Cause you're it's just like, so all right, I need a barbell. I need a box and I'm only going to use it once, but no one touch it. Like, <laughs> right. Uh, right. You got to have it start in waves and, and everything. Yeah. Um, what's your least favorite movement? Same question or least favorite workout. Do you have like a least favorite benchmark or is it more like I always, I'm always like my, if there's a movement in a workout, I'm like, Oh, I hate this workout. But like, yeah. do you have a least favorite of either of those? You know, thrusters are just one of those things that, I think I used to really like them in the beginning of CrossFit, but I just, my stomach just churned whenever I have to do them in a, in a workout. I don't know. I think it's mm. just the idea of once you pick up the bar, I never want to let it go. But the thrusters, I just usually have to do high volume when there's thrusters involved. So it's just, it's yeah. kind of one of those things where you either staring at the bar, like, I don't want to pick it up. I don't want to pick it up. Or it's up and you're just like, don't, you don't want to put it down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So, the, well, I want to put it down, but <laughs> I shouldn't. I know I right. I you know, if you did, you're snaring <laughs> at it again. My yeah. like least, uh, m- my least favorable memory of thrusters is they, that open workout one year where they had it with the rower. Oh, it and was it got like, heavier. Did you have to like the? Um, no, no? Oh, I think no, it was, it was descend. I think it was yeah. a descending ladder. I think it started like 27 yeah. thrusters and 27 calories, and then just was all it, the way was down. It dumbbell thrusters that year. This was years ago. This was okay. maybe 2000 and. 15 maybe yeah it was before they it was before they had dumbbells before the dumbbell first time, thing. yeah it was the first time they actually even had a rower in because they didn't even have okay. that before um not fun yeah um <laughs> cool so what is your favorite u.s city um besides the one you live in oh well so currently yeah currently i'm in salt lake city 
I am from Charlottesville, Virginia. Mm. So I'm a like I love I love Virginia. It's great. I mean, I love being out here, but going home to Charlottesville is so much fun. You know, I grew up there, so I can just know every like know all the running trails, know all the little secret spots and and you know, I just know it like the back of my hand. So I don't know, is that allowed? Can I pick my hometown? No. <laughs> and I can't pick the one I'm in right now. No. Oh my goodness. Um, could be another Virginia city. I mean, if you want to do like could. Richmond, DC, I don't know. DC yeah. would count. Yeah. Well, I think maybe I'll um maybe I'll choose Park City, which is close to Salt Lake okay. City here. But that's, that's where that's I mean, we've been getting into a ton of mountain biking since living here in Utah, and Park City has some amazing trails. And obviously the skiing and snowboarding, like this winter is insane. The amount of snow we're getting. I think it's probably arguably the, one of the, the best in the country right now. So I, we are living that up. Nice. So. Yeah. It's funny, like the different mentality, East coast and like mountain towns, West coast, like oh, yeah. where it's East coast and it, and it snows. You're like, it's the worst winter in yeah. years. Yeah. And the yeah. West coast, like it's the greatest winter I've ever I had. I know. <laughs> I know. And that's, I mean, yeah, I get sick of snow too, but like when you have so when you have six ski resorts within 30 minutes of you, you kind of, you kind of have, have to do it. Yeah. You kind of have to do it and you end up loving it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you do like the Sundance film festival at all? That's that actually right? just, it was just now, right? I think that goes until uh, like the February 2nd, I think. So I think it's still going on, but I have not been there. Um, I have not done that yet, but I was talking with a friend like, Hey, we haven't done this. We should probably go and check it out. Probably one of those things that's like so close. You're just like, oh, I was doing next year. Right. Like, ah, it's one of those things that's so, well, this is so many people come out to it. It's yeah. almost like a turn off. Like, oh, I, I like Park City. I mean, it's in, it's so, it used to be in Sundance, but now it's, it's in Park City, but it's still called the Sundance Music Festival. Mm. Oh, but, okay. um, like so many out of towners that it's almost like, hey, I enjoy this place when there's not a lot of people in right. there. Right. Like ruins and, it. Uh, yeah. So, um, well, segue. What is your favorite movie? <laughs> Oh gosh, I'm such a sap. I love a good romance movie. Like when my I told you my boyfriend is in the fire department. So when he's gone for his 48 hour shifts, I am just like watching all the things that he would never agree to, <laughs> <laughs> agree to watch. Some guilty pleasure time. Yeah. I watched Pearl Harbor like for the first time last year. Have you seen that movie? When I was like 12. <laughs> I, I had no idea about this. No one told me, which I was so upset once I watched it. And it was like, wow. This was such an awesome movie. Did you cry real hard? I cried so hard. <laughs> but I was like, how did I not know about this? And this isn't even a new movie. So that has been, that has surpassed like the notebook and everything, in my opinion. That has, that's been great. So we're not even talking rom-coms, just, just roms. Oh yeah, just roms. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I like rom-coms, but I'm a, I'm a sucker for just the roms. Yes. Just sit there and just feel good for a while. I like it. Yeah. I hate scary movies. So probably the furthest, probably just the, the opposite. Movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just love it, movies. It's funny. Cause I have three brothers and I think I just was so restricted from watching all those things when I was younger that it just it's coming out now it's like strong press so long <laughs> like whenever i have free time we're yeah. going, now you're going back in time too watching the old ones. yes gotta catch it make up for lost time um right. so this is kind of along the same lines what is something you thought was cool when you were younger but like isn't cool oh gosh what did i think i mean gosh the first thing that comes to my head were those furbies <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I don't know. That was like literally the first thing that came to my mind was like how we had these Furbies and you like, 
you know, you stick your finger in their mouth to feed them. They like, feed me. I don't know how parents like how they put up with those things. All of, I think my brothers too had Furbies for a moment there. But yeah, um, there was a Furby. It was just me and my brother. And there was definitely a Furby. Yeah, in our they're, they're, okay. So it was a guy thing too. But I think, yeah, I think it was just like you needed to stay up. And like, couldn't they talk a little bit? Oh, they, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were like, feed me when they were hungry. And then, like, when they want, they farted too. They were like, <laughs> they would like burp and fart too after you fed them like a baby. I remember putting mine on the swing because I was obviously thinking it was a little, I was just a little toddler that I was yeah. taking care of and just it fell off and it broke. <laughs> Yeah, and that was kind of the end of my first. So it was a sad day. That's yeah. a fantastic answer because those are objectively not cool. Those yeah, are super I mean, not you cool. look those. I had this ugly one too. It was like gray, and it looks kind of like a like a a spotted pig, um, but it just was not attract. You know, they're not attractive things in the first place. But it was like gray and spotted, and had some pink fur patches. Yeah, kind of like a yeah. It was an ugly. It's so ugly, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, awesome job. You did it. Thanks. Um, I was nervous now, about that part. I'm not good at that. No, you did great. Cause usually on the, when it's on the fly, it is just like, I don't know. And then like in like 10 minutes or like, as soon as we get off, you're going to have like five other different answers. Like, Oh my yeah, God, that was like, an answer I should have had. Pretty, I'm pretty confident about, I'm pretty happy with my response. Those were really strong. Um, <laughs> So now that we're, we're through that, so just tell us a little bit about who you are as, you know, as an athlete and a professional, just fill in some of the listeners. Yeah, totally. So I, like I said, I'm from Charlottesville, Virginia. I grew up my entire life in Virginia on a horse farm. Um, have three older brothers. Well, I'm a twin, but he's two minutes older. So he holds that against me. Um, but we're all within three years of each other. So when we were, my twin and I were born, I had a one-year-old brother and a three-year-old brother. So we're super close. And I attribute a lot of my kind of athleticism or trying to keep up with the boys my entire childhood. And even now, um, they're all super athletes and mm. they're, we're, we're really close. So again, we share, we share that kind of passion for movement and exercise and just being healthy. But um, so I went to Virginia tech for my undergrad and studied nutrition, food and exercise and Spanish. And it was kind of during that time where um, you know, I was really became interested in just health outside of, you know, I think growing up, like in high school, we always think about athleticism and like our sports practice. And we don't really have like, you know, when you get to college, you step back because you don't have your necessarily your sports teams. And you're like, oh, how do I be healthy? How do I include all of how do I really hone in on my health if I don't have these structured practices and mm. stuff for me? So, um, so that was just really a place of interest for me when I was an undergrad and I did join the club lacrosse and triathlon teams while I was there during my four years and just kind of soaked it all in like everything I was learning from the nutrition side of things in my classes I was applying to my own personal practice in sport and just seeing okay I, you know this helps me feel really strong and really fueled during my performance on the field or you know just in whatever I was doing um, and then, you know, some other experiments didn't go as well. Like, oh yeah, I, I don't feel as good when, you know, we take carbs out of the picture or right. you know, some, <laughs> some more specific, um, things, but it was cool to be able, especially during that time, like it was really cool to be able to apply those things personally. Um, unfortunately it wasn't until I graduated that I realized I wanted to be a, a registered dietitian. And so 
Um, and I hadn't gone the dietitian track in undergrad. So that was kind of always on my mind. Like I want to go back to school to be a registered dietitian. Um, but my senior year of college was 2014. And um, so that's when I first stumbled into obstacle course racing. I did, um, I did, I think three Spartan races that summer beforehand. And then the fourth one was September um, for the Spartan race world championships. And there um, surprised myself. I surprised a lot of people by placing second. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was when it was still in Killington, Vermont. And it was an epic course. And like, it took four hours and 22 minutes. It was like the longest I'd ever run or race before. Claude came in first and we'd been battling, like we were battling back and forth a lot throughout the race. So shortly after that, like it was just, you know, Spartan approached me, Battle Frog back in the day, Battle Frog um, approached me too for, to be on their race team. So I joined and um, continued to race for my last semester of college and then continued racing um, actually those next two and a half years after, or two years after that until Battle Frog went under. And just was racing up a storm with obstacle course race or with, um, yeah, with, with all the OCRs and then decided to go to grad school in 2017, which landed me here in Utah. And wow. I pursued a sports nutrition, uh, master's degree along with, um, you know, all the prerequisites to sit for the dietetics exam, which I passed this past summer. Congrats. So thank you. Yeah. So it's been kind of a whirlwind of, racing and and school and <laughs> studying and all that good stuff but now i'm officially a registered dietitian and um i have my own private practice for nutrition consulting and i also spearhead the yancey camp nutrition program which just launched the first of this year yeah that's that's an your experience as an athlete is very unique um because you have gone and, and we talked about crossfit a little bit but you went from I didn't know you were involved in triathlon, but then brought it mm-hmm. into these long distance ones and now, and, and kind of went the opposite with CrossFit. Now you're kind yeah. of finding like a medium in there. And um, I'd love to hear about your experience with the nutrition with that. But um, when you went, when you went back to school, could you just kind of explain the difference between uh, a nutritionist and a registered dietitian? Because like these words get thrown out, thrown yeah. out um, but they're not the same. So can yes. you explain that a little bit. <clears throat> I'm glad you asked. Cause yeah. So, so technically anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. There's really no hardcore um, definition there. Um, you know, there's there's lots of different certification courses that you can get, obviously, to, to learn more about nutrition. But um, but the difference between that and a registered dietitian is there's um, there's a whole accreditation process to becoming a registered dietitian. You have to have four years of schooling um, in in a dietitian or nutrition related um, subject matter. And then, but, or if you don't, then you need to go through an additional process. Like kind of like what I went through was like the coordinated program, which includes all the courses that you would need to check off in order to, um, meet the prereqs. And then, and then once, and then you also have to do, um, a dietetic internship. So that's usually around a nine month process where you, um, are in a clinical setting, a community setting, and a food service setting, all food related. So it's a very, very in-depth um, education process to sit for that board exam. And then once you have all of those checked off your list, then you can sit for the exam, 
it's a four hour exam and it's a board certified like national exam. So it's the, the same for any dietitian all across the country. Um, and then, yeah, so it's, it's a pretty big process for sure. And then, and then what does that afford you to do career wise or, uh, a, a, that a nutritionist wouldn't. Right. I think the biggest thing is, um, to give nutrition information for specific medical conditions. So mm. like nutritionists are able to, um, you know, they're able to give nutrition advice to a healthy population or mm-hmm. make, or honestly, maybe I don't even know, like they they can suggest certain things, but they can't prescribe anything. Whereas we are, dietitians are the only, um, recognized health professionals that can give dietary um, advice for medical specific medical conditions. And so like that allows us to work in you, you won't see a nutritionist in a hospital setting, because obviously, we're not dealing with a healthy population usually in in that kind of setting. And so that requires someone who's able to do that. Also, like meal planning, technically, you're not supposed to offer or provide nutrition prescriptions of any sort. And so with meal planning, like um, you can make suggestions as a nutritionist. As a nutritionist like, right. Yeah. But you can't, you can't, but by meal planning, you're telling someone you're giving someone essentially a template or a prescription to eat these specific things. And that's, you know, that's, that's not technically allowed as a nutritionist that has to be given by a dietitian. So that's helpful. We do offer that component with the NC camp nutrition. <laughs> um, so that's um, helpful, but we're, it's legal. We're legally allowed to do that. Totally. And like, from my perspective, I, I am anybody, so I can call myself a nutritionist. I mm-hmm. don't because it's confusing. So I kind of go like the nutrition coach route. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, that's how I understand it. Right. Like I can't tell someone to eat, um, chicken. I could suggest that, but I can't mm-hmm. be like eat chicken and, and like peanut butter with toast for lunch mm-hmm. because that would just like, it's, I think it's against the law. Right. Um, right. And just cause the, I don't think that the whole education piece behind it and what the food can actually do mm-hmm. to people. Um, and I, I think that's kind of where I like to draw the line. So it really, it sounds like you're just way more entrenched in the education piece. Um, that just gives you a real certain idea of what is going to be helpful for people mm-hmm. more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, and there's there's a lot of nutrition coaches out there, and I think it's great. We we definitely have a health problem in this country, and there's not enough there's not enough nutrition based or nutrition focused people helping others. You know, there's the, the demand is highly outweighs you know what we're able to fulfill from a, a coaching side of things. So, but I, I but I do think, especially for your general population, it's easy to get caught up in a lot of the misinformation out there, and mm-hmm. and uneducated quote unquote nutritionists can, can do a lot more harm than good for a lot of people. Um, especially if they're, if they're just not really, um, you know, educated in, in the right, you know, the, the right scenarios or the right circumstances for people, or they're just the right topics. So I think it's just important for people to be cautious and, and know, you know, what, what the scope of practice is for, you know, nutritionists versus dietitian and what they're looking for. Hundred percent, and I talk about this a lot in about how like there's a difference between like someone who's giving you a template for what they've done. So it's like, hey, look at me, I'm jacked. Here's what mm-hmm. I eat. You should eat this too. It's like, well, mm-hmm. that's that's not what people necessarily need. From a lot of times using food to make them feel better, or like a lot of times it's, it boils down to habits and habit formation. It's not just right. about like here, do this. Like if it were that simple, um, 
everybody be able to do it. And and, and, right. and you're right. It, it is confusing because there is so mis, uh, so much like misinformation out there and a lot of voices. Um, mm-hmm. So when you kind of think about in terms of sport um, and endurance or sp- specifically an OCR athlete, like what is the, what would be the first place you would start with nutrition when, when talking to an athlete? Like what's, what's a piece of advice you would start with? Yeah. I think having like a basic understanding of, of nutrition and like the macronutrients is a really good place to start because it's important to know. I mean, obviously macronutrients are protein, fat, and carbs. That's how we, that's how we categorize the different calories that we're getting from food throughout the day. And so I think it's important as athletes to understand what those role, the roles are for each of those three categories and how that pertains to the athletic performance and, and health as well. Right. Because we're not, we're not, solely focused on performance. I think everyone has health kind of at the, the back burner for them or, or, you know, that's, that's something that everyone wants to be able to accomplish while still focusing on performance. So for me, that's a really big tie in is that, you know, we're, 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 we're focusing on performance goals, but we're also, you know, not neglecting the health aspect. So I try to tie those in as best as possible, but I think, yeah, understanding, understanding how we categorize food, and how that plays a role in performance is kind of like that first step. And then mm. we can get into the, you know, and then also from a performance standpoint, like what, what um, energy systems are we using primarily in the workouts or the training that we're doing? And in knowing that now we know what substrate is utilized primarily to fuel that process. And so knowing, okay, food, knowing our exercise and then knowing how those two come together is super important just for understanding the, the very basics. I a hundred percent agree. And that's something that, uh, I think people know there are macronutrients and maybe mm-hmm. they could tell you what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like just kind of you telling your background as a college athlete, trying to figure out your own way. I've kind of done the same thing. And I can't lie if I told you that I, you know, cut out carbs for a while and, mm-hmm. and, and trying all these other things. And um, so let's, let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Um, so like yeah. when it comes to the macronutrients and, and carbohydrates in general, give us a brief overview of like what that would do for an athlete, like and sure. why the carbohydrates are important. Sure. Well, I think for, for most athletics, it's safe to say that, you know, especially if you're competing, you are performing at an intensity that's, that's probably above like 60%, right? You know, even if it's Mm -hmm. long distance sport events, you know, you're still, you're very rarely going to be working at this like 50% VO2 max or, or less. And so when we, as intensity increases, so does our reliance on carbohydrates, right? We're, we're burning fat primarily at lower intensities um, because fat doesn't have, doesn't contain oxygen like from a molecular structure. And so when we have copious amounts of oxygen because we are, um, you know, breathing pretty normally, we're, we're, we're competing or we're, um, sorry, not competing, but we're performing at a, at a low intensity, we're able to get enough oxygen so that fat burning fat is, is efficient, right? Mm. But as our intensity goes up, our oxygen intake decreases, and now we have to rely on the oxygen in carbohydrates that, mm. you know, from a molecular standpoint, that makes it a lot more efficient to, to utilize carbohydrates than fat. And so really, from that standpoint, we, 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 our bodies just cannot rely on fat 
to fuel those high intensities. So either we need carbohydrates or we need to, or our bodies just can't achieve that, that amount of intensity. And so something's got to give there. Um, so, so, you know, and understanding that most of the time with most athletics at a, at a compete in a competition setting, you are going to be competing at a higher intensity and therefore need to ensure that you have a, a supply of carbohydrates and our body can only store a finite supply of carbohydrates. We, we store about 400 grams in our muscles. We store about a hundred grams in our liver. And so, you know, and, and that's, that's, you know, topped off, which, right. which is like 1800 to 2000 calories, right? right? Like, right. So that's easy to go through. I mean, if you're topped off completely, where meaning like, you know, you've, you've kind of undergone this carbohydrate loading process in the, yeah. the days prior to that event or the 24 hours prior to that event. But, you know, if you're not topped off, you know, like you just said, it could be very, it could be a lot less than the 2000 calories. And depending on the duration and the intensity of your workout, you can get through that very quickly. And so it's really important to make sure that, you know, our meals are carbohydrate, carbohydrate rich, especially around that workout time in order to fuel, fuel, fuel ourselves properly. And I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned and you compared the the two fuel sources with carbohydrates and fats, because that's some, especially now with distance running, it seems to be that kind of trend. It's like, okay, fat as fuel, there's there, Mm -hmm. you can store more fat, there's more calories in fat. So like we can sustain it for a longer effort, but I don't think people understand how slow that really is. So even if you are doing a 10 mile distance run, you are barely working, you know, to, to, to cross that threshold. Um, and so that's a great overview of, of carbohydrates. And another one that I feel like is important and that people uh, kind of understand, like they would have a protein shake after they work out, maybe they mm-hmm. eat eggs for breakfast and like, okay, cool, protein. So, um, and that's something that is vital and people hear it and it's like like pushed on them a lot. So just kind of mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about like why it's important to get protein, especially as like an endurance type of athlete. Yeah, protein's protein's super important. Kind of going to your point, which I will talk about the importance of protein, but like a lot of times that takes front and center stage when mm. really our, you know, the 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 main thing fueling our the main substrate fueling our muscles is carbohydrates. So people always forget they always think like protein muscles, but when in reality it's a lot very much carbohydrates muscle carbohydrates mm. as in fueling the muscle uh, your muscles to contract and, and do work during physical activity. So while it's very important to get, you know, your protein in, especially post-workout for that rebuilding process for your muscles, you know, you also have depleted those carbohydrate stores in your muscles. So you need to replenish that. And if you don't, if you just stick to the protein, I mean, you're, you have the, the, some of the components to rebuild that muscle tissue that's been stressed through that, through that, your training, but you're not allowing your muscles to recover very well because if you just leave them hanging out there to dry in terms of, you know, you just depleted a bunch of carbohydrates, but you're not replenishing those. You're, you know, you're going to experience a lot of soreness. Um, the DOMS delayed onset muscle soreness, like that's pretty huge. If you are, um, really only focusing on protein and, and not working mm. to replenish those stores. And just to jump in quick, cause people are always interested in like recovery methods and they're yeah. like, Oh, use the, the, the Normatec boots or like <laughs> cryo and like, and they don't pay attention to how much carbohydrates yeah. they put in after them. And I'm like, exactly. the hands down, the best way to recover is through carbohydrate. Like Absolutely. Um, no, so yeah, that was that, that's an awesome point because yeah, protein's not a fuel source. Like you, if you just ate protein, like you, you 
probably die, right? Like, I don't think you could sustain <laughs> off of Yeah, your just, kidneys would not be able to handle that process. Yeah, but. like, I don't think you would be have enough, uh, you wouldn't have any energy <laughs> eventually. Yeah. So, so um, I think it's important to, to focus on protein, but it should not be, especially for athletes, it really, it really should not be the, the entirety of the focus there. Because, mm. again, you know, you need it, but you also it, it's, it's not, there's not this priority in terms of, you know, one's one takes precedence over all the others that they're all very important in, in a balance and, and timing obviously is, is also a factor that plays a, a, a large role. But um, yeah, so I mean, protein, um, protein's important. I think a lot of people too, especially if they're tracking protein, they will, um, you know, it's, it's easy, especially based off of just our um kind of your typical American meals throughout the day. It's very easy to kind of forget protein in the morning or have very kind of low protein in the morning. Mm. Lunch, maybe it increases a little bit. And then dinner, there's a ton. Maybe you have like this big steak or big piece of yeah, chicken breast at dinner. Yeah, right. Yeah. They end up having a very skewed intake of protein throughout the day as opposed to a little bit more balanced one. And what research is showing is that more space, spaced out, moderate amounts of protein around like that 20 gram mark um, every two to three hours contributes a lot more to muscle protein synthesis throughout the mm. day, as opposed to having it very skewed and having a large amount and then very small amounts. Um, cause, cause that has something to do with like amino acid pools, right? It can only hold. Right. So yeah. We don't have, we don't store, store. amino yeah. acids, which are the, you know, our, our building blocks of protein. So there's a pool and it does cycle. Like we're constantly either, you know, um, breaking down muscle or building it, you know, throughout the day and that, that fluctuates. And so we can pull from this pool, but, you know, having copious amounts of protein at once is not going to increase the pool size. It's, it's, mm. it's, a, it's a limited, it's a, it's a limited size, a limited amount of amino acids that um, are being constantly utilized and broken down. Um, so, so yes, it doesn't, it, you're much better off strategically kind of um, spacing those out throughout your day. And that, yeah, and that's something that is definitely a struggle when I found working with people and protein is usually the first place I'll go, especially mm-hmm. if they're a lot. So I, I work with some people who are just looking to drop some fat, right? And mm-hmm. if you're going to be um, in this catabolic phase and you don't want to lose lean mass, like having protein in there uh, is totally. going to just try to ensure it. Mm-hmm. But it, you're right. Like people will start their day and have I don't know a yogurt, which is great, but or something less than that, or oatmeal. That's a good one. And then mm-hmm. they'll have a salad for lunch and then they're like three quarters of the day and like holy shit i'm supposed to get 100 yeah. more grams of protein in. <laughs> yeah like i can't do this I'm like i can't eat enough protein it's right. like well you could kind of space it out so how do you do you have a target recommendation for people or is or is it something like if you can eat 20 grams four to five times a day like you'll cover your bases or do you kind of tell people like, Hey, if you weigh this much, you should eat this much. Right. I think that's, and that's a good point, but obviously different body sizes will require different amounts of protein. And so that's where I think, you know, for some people, especially smaller, moderate, like medium sized females, I think it's, it's easier to say, you know, Hey, let's get the 20 grams of protein in it at each meal, maybe four times a day, um, four to five times a day and snacks and whatnot. But for, for, for guys, you know, obviously their needs are increased. So if they only had, you know, four or five meals a day or meals and snacks combined at 20 grams of protein, that's not going to give them enough. And so a lot of times you do end up having to increase either the frequency of meals or, um, you know, increase the amount of, 
well, a little bit above 20, maybe closer to like 35, mm-hmm. 40 at a time just to, to hit their needs. Um, so I like to start with, especially when I work with clients, I, li- I do like to start with an overall protein target goal for the day, but just to just so that they know kind of what they're aiming for. But we always break it down by meal by meal. And if there's okay. someone who's like, you know, yeah, I only eat two meals a day. It's like, well, sorry, sweetie, we're, we can't be having like, you know, 60 gram or 50 gram meal. You're, you'll twice. hate it. You exactly. Hate it. So we really do need to make like, let's, you know, let's kind of revisit your schedule here and see where we can fit in some, um, maybe some snacks or, you know, other, other ways to get protein in and more spread out throughout the day. Yeah. I, I, that's because uh, people are busy, right? And they don't right. have time necessarily to eat more than two meals if they don't plan it out. So how right. do you recommend someone would get more protein? In? If you're listening, like, yeah, I get it. I should get 120 grams of protein in, but mm-hmm. like, listen, I work 12 hours a day. Um, what are some of the steps that you, you recommend first? Is it trying to get protein snacks in or do you have like, what do you necessarily recommend? Yeah. A lot of times it does come out to come down to high protein snacks that people can just grab and go. Like it doesn't have to, um, you know, they don't have to sit in the kitchen and really make or meal prep a bunch of stuff. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of snacks these days that we can just grab and provide a lot of protein for us right off the bat. I mean, like, um, hard boiled eggs or one, even just like fresh deli meats, uh, or cold cuts, roasted chickpeas. Like there's all these little, there's, uh, you know, even like RX bars or certain, um, mm-hmm. protein bars that, you know, are minimum, minimally, uh, or have minimal ingredients and, you know, they're have all, less weird shit in them. <laughs> yes. They <laughs> yeah. don't have a bunch of stuff you can't recognize. So like, I'm, I'm definitely an advocate of, you know, helping clients find convenient, healthy snacks, whole foods based snacks that they can incorporate throughout the day that they can just have on hand to pull from. Uh, but a lot of it's understanding yeah, what their schedule is like, why they, why, why the two meals or, you know, why kind of the, the, the odd structure to their day where they can't, um, or they don't think that they can consume more and trying to find solutions to those barriers through kind of things that just seem realistic to them. Obviously I'm not going to try to, incorporate just because I have an idea doesn't mean that that's something that they will be able to implement. So I think a lot of it is meeting the client where they're at and, or or meeting them a little bit in the middle to discover, okay, well, you know, this clearly isn't working. You know, we need, we need to address or find a new solution, but how can we make it realistic for you to implement? For sure. And ideally everybody would live that Tupperware lifestyle meal prep every right. like twice a week and have it all set out for them, but it's just not always realistic right. um, to, to do that. Um, but yeah, I totally agree that like, yes, yeah, spacing out meal timing is, is a huge takeaway and it can really help a lot it's, depending on if you're, what your goal is fueling for performance or if it's to lose weight, like it's better to eat more often if you're mm-hmm. trying to, to cut some fat a little bit. Um, and speaking of fat, like what do you, what are your thoughts around that? Like, and tell us a little bit about dietary fat and yeah. why that's also important. Yeah, so that's usually fats. Usually, one of the, the the macronutrient that people don't understand as well. They're like, well, why is it important if like I if I need carbs to fuel my exercise and fat or and protein for for muscle building? Like, do I really need fat? So I think the biggest thing that I like to explain to anyone really is that you know we we need dietary fat in order to absorb our fat soluble vitamins which are vitamins a d e and k and so if we don't 
you know, if, if we don't have fat in our diets, we can't absorb those nutrients and we're, that's going to lead to nutrient deficiencies. So that's extremely important. Also, we have talked about how lower intensity, um, lower intensities are fueled a lot by fat. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, we all have, most of us have pretty, pretty fair amount of fat stores on our body um, that we can, that can supply these lower, supply this energy for, for low intensity exercise. But we also have to think about, you know, the importance that body fat plays um, for us in general. So like, you know, obviously protection of our organs, you know, from contact, we were able to play contact sports or, you know, uh, feel, be protected in any, you know, throughout the day when, when we come in contact with things that we need, that are protecting our vital organs. Um, Hormones is a huge one. Mm. I mean, hormone production significantly relies on um, fat in order to, in order to be produced and circulated correctly in our body. And so a lot of times, like I have a minimum, I think 20% of your dietary intake at a minimum should be coming from, from fat, um, up to 30%. If you're an athlete who 20 to 30% is kind of like those dietary guidelines that, um, support, um, a healthy diet without, you know, taking over in terms of, of becoming a higher fat diet. So I think it's important to to balance the carbs and fat and protein all together in an equation, but it's important that you have a minimum there at twenty percent because you know getting too low can can really mess up a lot of things. For sure, and that's so when people it's really easy to get fats right. It's it's in everything if you're not right. paying attention, right. but when you start paying attention, you realize how calorically dense they are. So mm-hmm. and that was like when there was that low fat trend, which you know, everything was fat removed or, or low fat, this low fat, that right. and bring the calories down to be like, okay, calories equals gaining weight. So less, less right. fat, less calories. That's good. Um, but w- when, so that's like a slippery slope that people might find themselves on. So what are some things that people might feel if like, if they're not hitting their, their like fat floor or hitting their fat requirements? Is there something that, is there a way, are there indicators where people might be like, oh, this is not great. So like, how would you know if you're not eating enough fat? Yeah. Um, and that's a good, I mean, again, it's, it's, a, it can probably feel different for everyone. And I'm not sure that there's like mainstream. I think the biggest thing, which you talked about was that, you know, if you don't have a, a reasonable amount of fat in your diet, you're going to, you're going to be pretty hungry throughout the day because you really need mm. this balance of meals in terms of, you know, having a sufficient amount of carbohydrates, fats, and protein to feel full from a meal. Otherwise, I mean, we've all had this case where you eat a bowl of cereal, has some protein in it, but mostly carbohydrates, and you just keep eating and keep eating because <laughs> you just don't have, you know, you don't have a, a good balance there of all the macronutrients to keep make help you feel full. And so, um, you know, a lot of times, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing is kind of rounding out. It doesn't have to be a lot at each meal. Like you said, it, it can add up pretty quickly over the course of time as you're eating, but you can get a lot or, you know, but, but it's very important to make all your meals keep you feeling fuller for longer um, and prevent this overeating. That is very common when we have very high carbohydrate meals. But and to answer your question with like super low fat intakes, I mean, I think just feeling lethargic throughout the day is probably the biggest one just because again like you know we're not doing high intensity activities throughout our day unless it's like a training session most of us for for work you know we we um 
know, are mostly sedentary or lightly active. So I think it's really important to have that fat and able to sustain our energy levels for kind of longer periods of time. So I would feel like lethargy would be um, kind of one of the biggest indicators of low, super low fat. For sure. And, and like you kind of mentioned it before, how it's like if you feel like you want to eat something like a fatty steak or a burger after being like in a low fat diet, like your body's probably telling you, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. you're not satiated. You're not getting everything you need. So there's probably mm-hmm. some sort of internal feeling. And, and and if that happens, like, you know, eating just cereal, eating just carbs, and then having like a terrible binge, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's are, right. I, feel like I that's, think that's, I think that's one of the biggest things. Cause I mean, people can go, I mean, take a bodybuilder, for example, in the weeks leading up to their prep, how, like the, the, uh, the amount or lack of fat in their diet leading up to these events is like, is astonishing. And like, you think about like, you know, they're, they're irritable, they're moody, obviously they're in a, de- a caloric deficit and it's, you know, for a sustained period of time. So that obviously contributes it contributes to it. But I mean, the fat is significantly decreased and your hormones can definitely, I mean, it's, it's not health, healthy for your body to be chronically, um, chronically with low fat intakes. And so I think you see a lot of those signs and symptoms through, you know, those bodybuilders and those types of preps. That must be awful. They must feel terrible. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like you said, it's not sustainable. So then you end up like, you know, you do your show or, um, you know, you do your event and then, and then you just are craving anything and everything high fat. And I think that's why keto diets work for a lot of people, you know, for weight loss. While I'm not an advocate necessarily of keto diets, especially in the the, uh, in the way a lot of people are approaching them, but mm. um, but you know there's something to be said for the calorie deficit that they're able to create through eating these high fat foods. Because I mean, yes, they're you're eating more calorie dense foods, but you're so full that you usually end up ha- having a deficit of you know several hundred calories each mm-hmm. day because you just can't eat anymore. You're like, gosh, I'm super full. And so there's, you know, so there's something to be said for that in terms of creating balanced meals that, you know, have a fat component to keeping you fuller. For totally. And yeah, you cut out that many calories and carbohydrates. Like, yeah, you're going to lose weight. <laughs> like right. It's, right. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem rocket, and like we're not necessarily We're not exactly the most, you know, carbohydrate, healthy carbohydrate prone society here. Right. So a <laughs> yeah. lot of times that's just people cutting out all the, all the, nonsense crap yeah. that, that it's not because they stopped eating bananas it's, right <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> yes, they stopped exactly. having bagels for breakfast and lunch right um totally. cool so like uh, you are very unique in this sport because you've done like we mentioned the long races the short races and then came all the way down to crossfit and you actually were able to qualify as part of a, a team was mm-hmm. that last year or two years ago 2018 i went to the crossfit games with my which team I, which i don't think any other OCR athlete has been able to qualify themselves in. <laughs> Correct. Would that be yes. fair? That would be fair. I feel like Hunter would agree to that. So <laughs> no, yeah, I think there's a qualify. There was a qualification system, and it went through. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's spectacular. And, and even on a team in CrossFit, like uh, it is, you have to be one of the highest levels of athletes to be on a team at the CrossFit Games for sure. So yeah, um, I think it was. You know, it's. I mean, it was one of those experiences where you know, it was really unforgettable because. I never thought that I could get to that level, but I think mm. being, you know, obviously to qualify as an individual is just insane. I mean, there's, I don't know how many total athletes there are. I know for, you know, before this past year, 
what was the total individuals they were taking? Not age group or teens. Oh, but oh like, like it was like 40 or 50, I think it's 40. right? Yeah, because yeah. there were 40 teams. But like just to be those 40 individuals, I mean, that requires so much dedication. And like, I mean, that is their full-time job for a lot of those uh, a lot of those athletes. And it's remarkable what they can do. So for me switching over to CrossFit, it was just more enjoy- – I was I told you I was just getting a little bit burnt out from obstacle course racing. And, um, you know, it was it – was, time for me to like focus on something different. And I thought CrossFit was really exciting and it, and it just gave me that kind of, um, that the intensity I was looking for, but also just being on a team was so much fun because I mean, you're really, you are being strategic and you're splitting up the work, you know, amongst your teammates and, you know, and there's a lot of collaboration involved and I just lucked out. I feel like I had the most incredible teammates and individually you take us apart and we're like, well, you know, pretty good athletes, but nothing, you know, games or even individual regional levels necessarily. We had one, the other gal on my team, Dana was a individual regionals athlete, but like, mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, just individually we weren't, weren't superstars, but together we just were able to accomplish. I think that's what made, what made that event um, or qualifying for the game so special is that we just really overcame so much as a, as a unit, as a team. And that was really special. And I think you're being modest with that. Cause even if like, if you know somebody who, who qualified on a team when regionals was a thing and they were part of a regional team, they're mm-hmm. probably the best CrossFitter, you know, like these CrossFitters <laughs> are at such good levels and to be on a team that's at the games, like, I don't think people understand what, what the what CrossFitters are, are totally uh, uh, capable of doing. Yeah. Um, so for you to kind of go from that level of like a four hour, uh, you know, racer going into a a long beast at Killington Mm -hmm. and they come all the way down to something that is so like strength oriented. I'm I'm sure you've kind of had to navigate your way through those things nutritionally. Um, Mm -hmm. So over the years, like how have you figured out how to change things based on what kind of competition you're doing? Cause you're still kind of floating in between different things now with, you know, short course, which is like 20 minutes uh, and, and even uh, high rocks, which is over an hour. So those are still different. Right. So it's, it's interesting playing. I mean, like you said, now it's very much a hybrid between the two. But like you said, I mean, I can. There's sub thirty minute stadium races that I'm doing, and then there's you know the high rocks, and you you know we'll see what kind of the decafit time frame is. I'm assuming that'll probably be closer to like forty five minutes. Yeah, that's so. kind of what I was thinking too. Yeah, it's still five yeah. k. It's still a lot. It's of still five k plus plus stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I feel like you know it might be might be around that forty five minute mark. Maybe it's a little bit less, but um. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it definitely takes a focus, definitely a focus from a nutritional standpoint to make sure that you're fueling properly for each of these activities. But I think, I think the biggest thing was that I did all of these things still separately. Like, you know, like in 2014, when I was doing the long races, like long races were my focus. And then Mm -hmm. like doing CrossFit, CrossFit was my focus. And then doing these hybrid events, like that's my focus. I think it's really hard to be trying to do, um, you know, beasts and then compete in CrossFit, like actually uh-huh. being really competitive. Right. So you really, so, so, and I think, you know, we, we kind of touched on this before we started the podcast here with just, um, you know, with, with quality over quantity and not really, and, and in terms of races and knowing like, okay, I'm going to focus like this year in 2020, like these are going to be my main focuses. I want to, you know, I want to prioritize this race because this is what I want to do the best in or this competition. And then the rest are kind of more, you know, 
preparation for those bigger events or, you know, as part of your training. And so I think it's really important to have um, a, a focus, more of a singular focus, or mm. else it's easy to get lost in, you know, all the different training modalities that you're going to be doing over the course uh, of, of time frame. And so I think nutritionally that aligns, you know, if you know, um, you know, I mean, so like I said, with higher intensity um, sports and, and training events, like those are all they're still like at the foundation, carbohydrates are still going to be the main fuel source. Protein is still going to be important regardless of, you know, if you're an endurance athlete or strength athlete, you know, there might be some differences in the two, but it's not a, it's not, it's not an insane difference there. Um, And so I do think that as long as you, I think for me, the biggest thing is making sure that my carbohydrate intake reflects the training I'm doing and the mm. upcoming races I'm doing. That's the biggest thing. Like, and, and kind of goes for everyday people too. Like there's nothing wrong with carbohydrates as we pointed out like that they're, they're essential. But if you are sitting at a desk doing desk job for, you know, eight hours of your day, your carbohydrate intake should reflect your activity. You might not meet as much. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. And so I think it comes down to knowing your nutritional, your, your overall calorie needs mm. um, too from a day-to-day basis, but also, um, you know, kind of larger scale just in general, like, um, as opposed to, as opposed to like necessarily flipping the switch for any one training event or another, like, it's just important to know, to make sure you're meeting your needs. And, you know, especially for me, my situations, my carbohydrate amounts are enough to fuel and recover from these events. Mm. So that's probably the biggest thing that fluctuates. Right. That, that make, it's totally. And, and the thing where I feel like people make it lost with that is really knowing what their output is versus their intake. Because uh, mm-hmm. I can speak from my experience, like going through this, even as a collegiate athlete, like I ran at a division one school and we had no guidance. I thought for, I thought mm-hmm. I was burning 2000 calories a day because that's just what like it said on the the back right. of like, <laughs> the pop tarts I was eating. Um, right, right. So like, how do you figure that out? Like, is there, is there like a general kind of guide or do you like pinpoint it down exactly? Or how do you know what's, yeah, what's what? That's a great question. I think a lot of listeners will hopefully like, <laughs> will, will be interested in this because I think that's a great starting place for people is, yeah, where, how the heck do I know how much to eat? And so a couple different appro- approaches I have with clients when I start off, you know, obviously if I'm, if I'm just starting to work with someone like that's something that I just don't know automatically mm. and they might not know it either. So, so how I start is of course there's, you know, energy, energy calculations, energy equations for, you know, estimating what someone's energy intake would be based off height, weight, um, age. Of course, if you like have your body composition from a bod pond or DEXA scan, like that, there are equations that account for, um, for knowing or having that information. And then of course, you know, your activity factor, which is a little bit generic, right? You can, you multiply your, your kind of basal metabolic rate by a kind of generic. What you hope you, what you think point you're doing. Two to 1.9 <laughs> right, right. scale based off of how active you are. So again, it's very general, but there are equations that are like, you know, they're tested. They're right. close enough. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then, so, you know, from there, based off your goals, if you want to take a, a, up to 500 calorie deficit per day for kind of that one pound of weight loss per week or 
plus 500 calories a day for one pound of weight gain a week and or anywhere in between. So again, like those are kind of your generic equations. If you sign up for like a nutrition calculator, very, um, there's some free ones online, but you can also pay like really small amount to get those. So that what I, that's like kind of your generic, um, your generic, um, equations that you can go for. But when you're working with someone personally, I think that's really one of the beauties in having a coach, as I'm sure you can speak to yourself, um, is because you're working with someone in an ongoing relationship that can um, help you kind of discover what your needs are and what you should be at currently. So with my clients, like, sure, I'll, I'll plug their information in an equation so I have kind of a general idea, but I'll also have them track their usual intake over the course of, you know, three to five days just to see you know, what they are eating. Cause I don't care if this equation tells me that they're, you know, they need 2,300 calories a day, but they're only eating 1400 days, roughly, you know, over the course of three to five days, then having them eat 2,300 calories all of a sudden is going to be ridiculous for them and mm-hmm. also potentially lead in a decent amount of weight gain over the, you know, over a totally. short period yeah. of time. So I think it's important to, first of all, I always meet the clients where they at. Sometimes people give me food logs and they're like 1100 one day and 1900 the other day and 1500. And so that, that's obviously like, okay, well, we just need consistency with this person. We just need them to, you know, we need to find kind of a, a moderate in between calorie level and just have them consistently hit that for, you know, weeks or days, days in a row, maybe even, you know, a week or two. So then I know, okay, how did, how's their body responding? And I, I have keep a pretty detailed spreadsheet with clients with personal clients so that uh, we can stay on top of this. But if, you know, if they're eating, let's say we chose 1500 calories and then they're, they're dropping weight after being consistent for, you know, um, a week or two. And if that's not their goal, you know, we need to obviously make changes. Mm-hmm. And even if it is their goal, we need to make sure we're, we're monitoring that. So that's kind of the approach I like to take um, is more so meeting the client where they're at intake wise, establishing consistency, and then moving that up or down based off of what their goals are and obviously changing or focusing on the macronutrient components as well. I love that. And it's like you, you have to collect some data, right? right. At first, okay, what are you totally. eating? Let's pay attention to that. It's really eye opening. And then like, what does that mean for your body composition? What does that mean for your energy levels? And like kind of, kind of shifting through there. So yeah, I think tracking yeah. is so huge for people. And it's so annoying too. And I get that oh, for people. It's really like, but, but they have to understand that you're, you're asking for help and nutritionally, and that requires an intervention period. And do I think you need to track for all the rest of your days of your life or even for the year? It's like, no, I don't. But I do, I do think that it's very important if you're working with someone that you give them an accurate reflection of what you're eating and also for your own self. So, you know, um, you know, and ideally that's over, over time. That's something you can kind of, you can reduce yeah. or just get rid of altogether. But right. yeah, people like anything, habit, starting a new one sucks right. for people. And so like with our Yancey camp nutrition program, like there's a lot of things that, that we need from potential clients before we even start. And I think sometimes that can be a turnoff for people, but people have to understand that we, you know, we need to know you in depth in order to help best help you. And so, yes, there's going to be a nutrition questionnaire. There's going to be a food intake log that we need from you. There's going to be a, an, a longer initial consult just to go through everything, but hopefully they, hopefully that's seen as, you know, just a level of care and, um, an interest in order to, 
to help them as the client, as opposed to like, yeah, we need all these things. And we're going to make your life as difficult as possible. Over right. the next, you know, a couple of <laughs> days. It's like, just tell me what to eat. It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> just, just give me the meal plan. <laughs> Jeez. Um, right. I've got more questions. How are you doing on time? I'm good. Yeah. Cool. Um, great. So just, you know, over the years, you see a lot of diet trends, right? And like, uh, I've tried a lot of them. I was very curious about them for a long time. You know, whatever mm-hmm. it was, paleo, keto, we mentioned, mm-hmm. low fat, we've mentioned. Uh, and I think some do have merit. But um, at the end of the day, I do find these as like trends. So is there any type of trend that has popped up over the years that you just like, really are against and just don't like at all that you would like, push people away from? Well, I feel like more times than not, like with clients that are coming to me, especially with performance goals, or maybe not even performance goals, but just, you know, you're they're your average Joe working a desk job, eight hours a day, but they are training really hard outside, you know, they have, you know, a hard training session, either before work or after work. And, you know, just, I think a lot of times, a lot of these people have fallen into the fat, you know, the the ketogenic, or high, mm-hmm. high uh, fat, low carb, trend and that's just a big one that's always that comes up constantly with for me lately with clients and you know just their inability to to um you know their energy levels are just so drastically low throughout the day and they're not getting anything out of their workouts and so i i feel like wow i know i've mentioned it a lot today and the whole world has probably heard enough about keto diet i do think that's one that's just oftentimes abused um, just amongst your average Joes. Cause I mean, like you said, like they're not, they're not, it's not the bananas or the fruit that's really doing or the whole grains that are that's the issue there. It's just all the, it's all the empty calories in the form of really highly processed, high sugar, um, you know, food products, I would say not foods, but food products. So, I mean, that's probably the biggest one is like people understanding that it's not, it's not the carb as a whole that's bad. It's just, it's, like it's an overall assessment of their their diet as a as a whole, and mm. and being like, wow, am I just am I focusing on whole foods, or is most of my is, is most of my intake revolved around convenience, on the go, what's portable, what's packaged, what's easy to grab? And I think that we've just gotten further and further away from that. And so I sound like a, you know, I I, I just sound like super repetitive when I say these things but i think the closer we can get to just a whole foods diet is you know everyone's better off for that whether that's you know for performance health weight loss or just you know just general healthy diet yeah i mean that's uh like you said there's when they come to you with the purpose of performance and they want to try a thing that you know isn't meant for performance right like you kind of just have to like you can do keto but like you probably won't race very well right <laughs> that's how you want to eat. Yeah. And there's um, always those cases that people who like have had success doing something and then, right. you know, write a book on it or have a video or documentary. And that's just all of a sudden, you know, that's the newest, latest, that's biggest thing. thing. Speaking, speaking of documentaries, did you see game changers? Yes. I was, I saw like one of the, I went to like the premiere showing of it actually. Cause I've heard not it was uh, not at Sundance, but I got an email about it. I was like, oh, it'd be interesting to watch. My boyfriend and I went and saw that. And I think at first, I mean, it's very compelling when you when you watch it. It's like, oh, gosh, maybe I should be trying that. But I think the biggest, I think, you know, obviously in delving more into the research and looking at it from a very, from a critical standpoint, um, 
I, I think there's a couple takeaways there. And I think the biggest one, um, so I kind of, I kind of divided up into, okay, what claims did they make that, uh, I, I kind of see like their anti meat claims. And then I also, and then I view their like pro whole foods, um, kind of insight and, and, and pro, like just promoting that. And so from that standpoint, from a whole foods, I mean, I don't think anyone could argue that adding more whole foods to our diet, minimally right. processed products <laughs> is going to be healthy for us no matter what, no matter who you are. Like that's, I think we can all agree on that. And I think to have a documentary that highlights that and especially on such a large scale, I mean, so many people watch the game changers yeah. and probably needed that kind of, push like oh gosh like yeah you know maybe maybe it allowed them to evaluate their diet and think like gosh I really don't eat that many plants like I could or or most of my diets really processed I could do better with incorporating more plant food so I think from that standpoint um you know you do have to see the good in it you do have to see like you know what how this is helpful for a lot of people just to to know about and understand what I don't agree with is like the the claims the the false claims that they that were made um, about many animal products and eating meat and you know like a lot of the studies they cited were either really poorly conducted studies or super small sample sizes or like that one study amongst thousands of other studies that said the opposite and so and the studies that they did the experiments I should say that they did in the movie um, in the movie was, you know, those, those weren't set up in any type of way, shape or form to a lot of actually anecdotal stuff too. a lot of anecdotal stuff. And actually they, there was no, there were no dietitians interviewed in that, um, in the movie at all. Just nutritionists? Just, you know, it was, it was just, it was just people exactly what you said. Like right. people, it's worked for some people and there's always going to be those cases where, Hey, this works for so-and-so. And you know, then that person is obviously going to tell the world about, how this worked for them. Um, is it possible? I think the biggest thing is like, you know, is it possible to be vegan and be a high performing athlete? Absolutely. Like it is a hundred percent possible no matter, you know, what your dietary intake or, you know, no matter what your beliefs are regarding food and what kind of category you put yourself in. Is it, is it cheap or convenient or, um, you know, is, is it, it going to practical? You know, like, right. Is it going to improve, drastically improve over any other method? Like, you know, again, no, it's going to take very close monitoring and focus and a lot more, just a lot more time and energy on your part. If the more restrictive we are with food, obviously, you know, we have to fill that void with other things. And so that's, that takes a lot of time um, to do and resources. So but so I think a lot of people like the initial reaction was like, Oh, I'm going to go vegan, but then they're not in tune enough with their own diet and their intake to mm. make choices that are going to support their activity and performance in doing, you know, in, in go, abiding by the vegan kind of guideline, dietary guidelines. And, and that's worrisome. I, I think about it. Do you remember like the Vibram, the five finger shoes that came mm -hmm. out? Mm -hmm. Like they made these claims like you'll be faster and, and, and you'll get hurt less and it's just better. And people are like, great. And they put them on and then they ran the same way and then got hurt. Yeah. And then they just didn't do the proper 
they just didn't do the proper care to like use the shoes as the tool that they were meant to be. And I feel like that's what's right. going to happen with a lot of these people that are just going to jump on the plant-based thing and not mm-hmm. look into it, not like look, not track their food, not see how much calories they're taking because or how much protein they're getting in, right. not supplement in, in the ways that they might have to. And it's just going to exactly. be a disaster. People are <laughs> like, people are ready to go all in on that. And, and like exactly what you just said, like it's, it's like, you know, as, as, a, as coaches, as nutrition coaches, like it's our, it's our job to support the client, you know, in doing whatever it is, you mm-hmm. know, they wish to do, but, but we also want to, you know, provide that education and knowledge component to them, like it, so that they understand the full scope of everything and not to talk them out of something or talk them into something, but ensuring that they do it in a, in a healthful way. And so just like you said, I mean, going from eating kind of an omnivore diet and then all of a sudden going vegan, I mean, that's a huge leap. So mm-hmm. for a lot of my clients who are interested in doing that, it's, you know, instead it was more of like, okay, well, let's look at your diet now. And like, where can we include more plant-based options? And maybe that's, you know, and maybe they just didn't really have any whole plant-based foods in their diet. And so it's like, oh, well, let's just, let's first focus on just incorporating more of those in and like not getting rid of, not getting rid of meat or animal products, but just instead, because that oftentimes the more focus, the larger our focus on animal products, the less focus on plant-based foods. So a lot of times that just inherently becomes the case. Would you agree? I, I would. I, I definitely would. And it, it's, yeah, like it, like they, they feel better because they're taking out a lot of the, the garbage, mm-hmm. you know, and it, they're just not all, and they're pointing to meat as that, but when we're bringing more plants and when they eat more plants, they'll probably feel better as is. And mm-hmm. it's just concerning because I see like half of these people that are, that are, going this way who have seen these type of documentaries or have seen some anecdotal evidence are the people who are looking for those trends who are the people mm-hmm. who would have done keto or paleo when it was when it was popping and but there's this like compassion piece to it so there's this whole other side of people that are just like so hardcore um anti-meat that like they're not going to change no matter what they don't care right. what's going to happen to them because they have this moral belief inside of them and they're trying to convert people over to them. But right. And there's these, half these people are just like, I just want to feel better. I just want to die. <laughs> you know? Oh, and, you have extremes on either side and either end of the spectrum, which can can do a lot of harm for the public good. You know? I know. I know. So I'm a little concerned about it because I think this one has a little bit more staying power than something like keto. Because right. someone will do keto for like a week and be like, wow, that felt awful. And go through the keto flu and be like, right. no thanks. Right. But, I think that, I mean, one of the biggest things is that plant foods are inherently just higher in carbohydrates. There's just more carbohydrates. So from a athletic perspective, especially if meat is usually that focus point, plant foods are towards the back burner. And then all of a sudden you bring plant foods into light and focus on that, you know, yes, you're going to feel better because you're providing, you know, you're getting more carbohydrates. Obviously you're getting very nutrient dense carbohydrate options, which, you know, athletes need. And there's, there's kind of a, there's, there's, oftentimes a, 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 a less lesser emphasis on on carbohydrates even amongst an athletic population these days just because of you know fad diet trends and everything mm. and so yes when you bring those to the forefront it's very it's very easy to be like wow i feel better but then like you said it's not necessarily the absence or presence of meat that or in this case it's not the absence of meat that's making them feel better it's just bringing forth the you know a large much larger amount of plant foods and so i think there's a way like my suggestion for anyone looking into that would be just to really bring more of a focus. I mean, you can definitely decrease the amount of 
animal products and, and increase the amount of plant products and, and go through it that way as opposed to just cold turkey getting rid of all animal products right. and being unprepared. Because I mean, a lot of times those, those plant-based, you know, high protein sources, you know, aren't aren't the healthiest options either for you. Like very the beyond processed. meat, the very processed, there's, you know, just having tons of wheat gluten, like as your protein source necessarily, like that can trigger some inflammation for people. So I think, I think finding a balance between the two is a, a definitely more healthful approach and one that, you know, is eases the person into deciding for themselves what they, what they'd like to pursue. Yeah, those are great recommendations. And, and like, like you said, like the protein sources that are processed are not always great. You'll end up taking a lot of, of powders and, and like, I love mm-hmm. when I see like those infographics of like, there are X amount of protein in chickpeas, but like, they don't mention how many carbohydrates or like anything like, and there's this much in the steak and they act like it's apples to right, apples. When they're right. just like, like, so I would you'd have to eat four, so many, your stomach would be cups of broccoli to get yeah. this amount of. <laughs> Um, I saw that once. It's like, (laughs) who could even handle something that crazy? Yeah. Um, (laughs) um, All right, cool. So just to kind of double back just on on your goals this year, some of the personal stuff you got going on. We mentioned DecaFit a little bit. um, Mm -hmm. And there was, you guys made an announcement a little bit. So tell us about what you got going on this year. Yeah. So obviously with Spartan's new um, event series called DecaFit, that's been really exciting because, um, you know, similar to what we're seeing a lot lately with these kind of hybrid hybrid OCR or hybrid fitness competitions where it involves, you know, definitely a running component, but also includes, you know, a functional fitness aspect. I think that's obviously exciting for me personally, just with my background, because I really have been tying in, um, just both now. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. I'm like, God, I mean, it's challenging. <laughs> believe me. I mean, it's, it's been interesting because, as of late, you know, the, the CrossFit games was a lot, was a lot more recent than the 2014, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. 15 plus mile mountain race that I was doing. But, you know, so, so I'm definitely still closer to that power strength athlete than I am the endurance side of things. But training for these kind of hybrid races is really fun because uh, it allows me to kind of tap into both worlds a little bit. And it always keeps things exciting. Like I know that for DecaFit, I mean, we talked about this already, but at the end of the day, it's still a 5k for time. You know, you're, mm-hmm. yes, there's, there's going to be 10 fitness stations preceded by a 500 meter run, but you know, if I'm racing against girls who are, you know, former track or cross country athletes, or just even just any of the obstacle course, the, the top OCR ladies who are just really fast runners. I mean, at the end of the day, I have to compete with them. And so for me, it's been fun to get back into to my running roots a little bit more, um, but also still keeping a strength component in there, which I, I really do enjoy training for. So I've got DecaFit lined up this year. I definitely want to keep doing the Spartan Stadium series. Um, I believe there's going to be a Spartan Stadium World Championship. We've heard. Could we, could we know? We've heard, yeah. yes. <laughs> so we know that the, the World Championship is – the Spartan World Championships in – Abu Dhabi now, so December fourth and fifth. But what I've heard is that the the Stadium World Championship is going to be combined into that weekend. So I'm so again that's there. kind of rumor, but yeah, and and so that's not till December, which is crazy. I, it'll be very interesting to see how that 
I mean, by the end, by December, I feel like a lot of people are just at their limits with running or, or oh, injuries or, yeah. yeah, right. I mean, the summer, I mean, so you really do have to be smart you from, from an athlete side of things like you, that, and one of the reasons I told you I wasn't at the High Rocks Chicago race this past weekend was that it's a long season. I mean, if I had done that race, that's January, that was January 25th. If I'm going all the way through December, I mean, there's really no time for an off season. And I think that's yeah. so incredibly important to have as an athlete and um, one that's easy to overlook for the first maybe year or two. And then all of a sudden it catches up to you and you're like, gosh, I'm burnt out or I'm injured or I'm like just lost my passion for this. So trying to be really intentional this year, even though I've got, you know, anywhere from 15 to 18 races, we'll see what kind of unfolds. I want to do it all, but I also know me and know that just have to be well-rounded and, and make sure I'm taking care of myself physically, emotionally, personally, relationship wise, (laughs) (laughs) all that good stuff. Can't be racing only. Have you been able to like uh, pilot this deck of fit at all? Have you done it? I have not. I mean, I, in my training, I do a lot of running with yeah, you yeah, know yeah. the movements, but I haven't, uh, I know that like Yancey and Jared are working really hard. Like they're, they're, they're kind of spearheading this, the, the deck of fit series, but they, they're doing a lot of, they've got their warehouse in Denver right now where they, they're applying a lot of um, kind of how it's going to run logistically and making sure the setup goes smoothly. So I have not able to like, I haven't done the full thing, but, uh, it's going to be interesting for sure. Just to, yeah. just to space in, I mean, cause with high rocks, it's a thousand meters of running and then a fitness station times eight. So, but like when it's, when you're cutting that distance in half, like, I mean, that is a fast, I mean, hopefully <laughs> those are fast intervals yeah. and the movements aren't really heavy. So, I mean, it's going to, it's going to be a, high intensity race for sure it'll be very interesting to see how it all kind of goes down yeah and like what kind of athletes are gonna are, are gonna like come out like this i think this opens mm-hmm. the door more for like totally. a crossfit athlete than it would for like because high rocks is still an 8k like right you can't just yeah. come out you of tell a, a, you tell a crossfit a they're gonna run five miles and they're just like no, no thing. way no chance yeah. like but they can i they can wrap their head around no, a 5k 5k yeah for sure and there's definitely i mean every crossfit athlete has their strengths and weaknesses on them some of them are just like more of an endurance based athlete totally. so i think it'll be very interesting to see that um that play out but also at the same time there's a lot of runners that are like oh these fitness stations that's not a problem i can run a 5k like nobody's business right and so that's gonna be very interesting to see okay i mean high rocks you look at the podium and it's like you can have you have Faye, who's right super fast and endurance based athlete. And then you have like this pat in Chicago, Alyssa and Lauren, Laura weeks. And Laura's a very much across, like almost purely CrossFit athlete. Alyssa has been kind of in the, in between, Mm -hmm. but I mean the, the body types in turn, like, you know, like face super, super lean, super quick, long legs. And then you take my, myself or some of the other ladies that, are a little bit stockier, heavier build, more muscle. I mean, you can have them on the same podium right next to each other. And, and it's very interesting to see like what comes out on top and that's for high rock. So we'll see, we'll see what deck of it, if that leans yeah. more towards the end. I definitely think the, the runner is gonna, gonna, especially with lighter work or less intense or less heavy workout stations. I do think the the endurance is really going to play a huge role. In Cause that's, it. that's slight is kind of like the, deal breaker in high rocks it seems like it's right. like an equalizer and it seems like that's 
far and away the hardest thing. Like, mm-hmm. do you do you imagine there's going to be a separator like that in Decafit, or is everything just going to be like kind of moving through really quick? I think for the most part, things will be moving through pretty quick. I know, like from my experience with like the Spartan Stadium races, whenever there's the, the like the there's a station with the assault bikes and it's 15 calories, and I know for me, um, that's more of my strength because I do have a little bit more mass um, than more power, the other lady. Sure. Yeah, and power and yeah, and power. power so yeah. I know that there's 20 calories in the Decafit. Um, you know, for the for the one of the Decafit. Mm obstacle so i know like that i mean there's a little big again it's not like minutes it's just it's probably a matter of seconds but it's an uh, effort I, you, know, you know like right. it, that might white people and and yeah and the ram burpees i found in the stadium are terrible yes. <laughs> they're really okay hard. Yep, so we've got 20 ram I, I think it's 20 ram burpees we have those the 40 pound for girls 60 pound for guys 20 d balls over a wall which that'll like, be really light for you right like yeah you probably for know me how to do that. like oh that's that's again i'll have to be I have to really take advantage of those stations where I can get a little bit of an edge. Cause I know the running will be um, more of my, my weakness in those races. But so yeah, be, that's what I can think about is like the Ram burpees, the D balls, the assault bike. Those are definitely more power based, which I think, you know, obviously speak to me a little bit more. How are you going to hold that Ram during the squats? <sighs> I'm, I have great mobility. And so but honestly, it's 30 pounds. So just chucking it over one shoulder and just squatting like that. I mean, you, it's, think so? you can even as your arms get tired, you can kind of put your hands over your head um, to like hold on, you know, as if we had like a, a log over your head. Right, so a log, that yeah, might yeah. be, I think picking up and throwing it over like that might might be easiest. But honestly, once you're in that position, even as you're doing 30 squats, it's very easy for me to like shift that weight back and just put it on as a back rack mm. so it's just too um, short like my, like a lot of shoulder mobility will be able short. to reach there so it's like gonna be hard to right. like, hold that thing like, right back rack. and it's like fat but at the same like time like even holding you know even holding your arms up in that kind of back rack it's not the most restful position for your for your arms you know no, you're doing that so like, i think the one shoulder like, really might you can front rack it but that wouldn't uh, that would it's like zercher it yeah, you could could search it, but yeah, I, just, I I think I think over the shoulder will be honestly the best strategy. Yeah, but, I don't have yeah. one. So I'm just trying to like think about like uh, it's like I'm, I know. All respect to that. All respect to that piece of equipment, but I ain't spending that much money on that no, <laughs> like heavy no. log. Yeah, no, you can you can makeshift your own for sure. Totally. But um, will you be there? Were you, uh, you plan to come to any? Um, there it's just not around the same time. I'm, I want to do High Rocks LA. Yeah, some of that. And I'm going to do stadium series this year as well. Um, and cool. then I just got to wait to see where, where, where DECAs end up. And right. if they're host or even if they're like a, a reasonable flight, like I'm, I'm, I'm definitely interested. I'm really. Yeah. I know it. the second one's already going to be in Dallas on May 2nd. And I think they have a third one up on their schedule with the dates. but I know. Oh, I, nice. I know that that'll be kind of, I think by the time that first race is around, we'll have a more in-depth schedule for DECA fit on the website. So cool. Check that out. Cool. So let you go and just uh, to um, you had the thing going with Yancey. So where can people find about the um, nutrition nutrition coaching or how do you guys? Yeah, yeah with personalized, yeah, one on one nutrition coaching and and with Yancey Camp. I mean, obviously he has a very successful online training platform for mm-hmm. those looking to train OCR specific or even they even have a CrossFitter on there and a triathlete. But um, we decided to add a nutrition component myself and. Yancey and his wife, Amy Culp, who is a awesome 
sports dietitian at the University of Texas. So we've kind oh, of, nice. we've, we've created, yeah, this, this nutrition program that people can, you know, find out more about on the Yancey Camp website. There's a nutrition tab on there. We'd love you to go through our packages and see what we offer. But really, like I said to you earlier, Rich, like it's, it's essential. I mean, if you really are looking to hone in on your nutrition, there's so much generalized information out there, but to get to that next level, it really, it's really worthwhile to have a personalized program, at least for some period of time. And, you know, with our packages with Yancey Camp, they're really affordable. They include a lot of different things you'll have a lot of time chatting with me personally, which is fun. And I love chatting with people. So, um, you know, I look forward to, to working with many, many different athletes or non-athletes. You don't have to be an obstacle course racer to mm-hmm. take advantage of this program. But um, yeah, so I would definitely say check out the Yancey Camp website. You can also follow me on Instagram. I post quite a bit about nutrition and the Yancey Camp Nutrition Program. So um, yeah, and we have a newsletter that's going to go out each month. So oh, nice. we'd love, we'd love, um, love everyone to subscribe to that so that you can at least get some of those common misconceptions about nutrition answered and, and kind of, you know, pick our brains a little bit because we do a and a as part of our newsletter. And I think it's helpful for people to get a lot of myths busted. Yeah. Start, <laughs> and then start testing things out. And it's just like, yeah. it's always amazing to me how high level athletes just don't even think about it. They just, and, and how much of a difference it can make. So like, you guys should seriously check it out. It's really valuable if you're willing to commit because it's not easy. It's it is does take change, but it's worth making that change for your yes. for your performance and just like your lifestyle. Yes, and we have a meal. Uh, we've partnered with a meal planning platform called Eat Love, which is included in either of the packages with Yancey Camp Nutrition, and I think that's a game changer for people. No pun intended there, but um, <laughs> I you know a, a lot of times you know, the, the tracking and figuring out how, you know, what meals eat throughout the day to get to hit your target calories or your target macros. Like that's, that's cumbersome for people and it takes time and it takes effort mm-hmm. on top of family and job and training and everything else. So this platform makes it really easy to kind of have a, pl- a flexible um, meal plan that you can change at any point in time and sift through the, the many recipes on their database. But you know, all to fit your needs is pretty awesome. So that's yeah, the easier, the easier you can make it for people. Totally. But also being um, flexible, which is always the hard part about meal plans. Mm. It's like, here, I've just spent all this time writing this up for you and you have to stick to it. It's like, oh, no, yeah. you can just change it as you wish. And so I think that's the coolest part. So for sure. Cool. So I'll link all this stuff in the show notes and uh, like your socials and everything like that. Um, cool. Well, I appreciate you popping on. Uh, when I press stop on this, we'll, we'll, we'll stay on. So I won't just kick you off so we can kind of recap. Um, Well, cool. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. And we'll catch you guys later. Yeah. Thanks, Rich. Bye, guys.